As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an aquaculture business, how do you connect regulations to support the aquaculture industry? This episode is dedicated to answering that question. So listen in and I hope you enjoy this episode. This episode, I'm grateful to have Myron Roth, who is the team lead aquaculture and marine fisheries of the British Columbia Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Fisheries. Welcome to the show, Myron. Uh, Welcome, Lourdes, and thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm excited to have you on. I'm sure we're going to learn a ton from your episode. He's a biologist with 30 years of progressive experience in aquaculture, biotechnology, veterinary medicine, and drug regulatory affairs, quality systems, government policy, and business development with over 12 years at a senior management level. His strengths include strategic planning and partnerships, innovation, team management and motivation, project management, contract research, communications, and research. He used to be the industry specialist for aquaculture and seafood before his current position. Welcome again to the show, Myron. We're glad to have you here. Yeah, well, I'm glad to be here. Well, let's get started with my questions. With all that background, I'm sure you can share with us how you came about to being in this industry. (laughs) That could take a while. It goes back a long way, but I think the funniest way to characterize it is that The first job I ever had, which is a job I had even before I had a paper route, I was very keen on keeping fish at home, but of course I couldn't afford any of it. So I worked in a pet store for credit, cleaning fish tanks so that I could develop my tropical fish hobby. And that was, you know, I don't want to say too much about my age, but let's just say it was a long time ago. And I still keep fish at home now today. So I've been a fish guy ever since. And so basically I you know, when I finished high school, I had this idea that I was going to come out to UBC to study basically marine biology, which I did. And then I got a job at the Vancouver Aquarium. And then from there, I met some folks and I got an interest in fish pathology. And basically, it just sort of went from there. And I actually got accepted to do some graduate work at the Institute of Aquaculture at the University of Stirling. And it was there that I kind of really got exposed to the aquaculture industry because I landed into a funded project to tackle the sea lice problem. And so what it allowed me to do was engage in my passion for fish and fish husbandry, but at the same time, my passion for science. And 
that was a very practical project because I was doing research, but working with all the major salmon farming companies in Scotland. And when I came back from Scotland, I got a job on the West Coast working for a salmon farming company. And I've basically been working in various positions in the industry ever since, leading up to coming into the government here because my family situation was such that I was living in, in Victoria and we don't have many fish farms in Victoria, but we have a lot of government support policy and operational programs for the industry. So it was a good fit. And in the end, I've done research, I've done production, I've worked in the supply sector, and now I'm working for the regulators. <laughs> so it's uh, quite interesting. It's quite a myriad of experience that makes you be a great resource for us. So maybe you can share with us, I know you're in a position now with the Ministry of Agriculture and Food. What's the vision for that I guess, ministry compared to when you were in the aquaculture and seafoods ministry, I guess. Well, there's been a lot of changes in government. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, uh, if you're looking for the, the current vision of the Ministry of Agriculture and Food, you'd almost be best to ask that question of the minister or the premier. And it's important to clarify that it only became the Ministry of Agriculture and Food on April 1st. Before then, it was the Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Fisheries. But then, of course, as we all know, there was a reorganization of the natural resource ministries and the fisheries part of agriculture, food and fisheries got moved into a newly created Ministry of Land, Water and Resource Stewardship. And where the focus on the fisheries part is with fisheries and aquaculture policy and the provincial wild salmon strategy. And so a large number of folks went over to that new ministry, except my team stayed behind with the renamed Ministry of Agriculture and Food. And if you were listening to the recent estimates debates, you'd hear the minister spoke about what they now do under this new framework. And when it comes to fish, we are more about what it takes to get the fish on your plates. So... I can't really talk about what the ministry's vision is until the new service plan comes out. But having said that, my role at the Ministry of Agriculture and Food is to lead this team of industry specialists and advisors that work directly with the seafood sector. And basically, you know, we provide strategic and technical professional expert advice to BC seafood producers, association councils, advisory bodies, research and educational institutions by delivering a variety of funding and support programs. And the overall objective of the unit is to support a strong, stable seafood economy and sector by building capacity, enabling economic prosperity and sustainability, and facilitating research and innovation, advancing best practices. Basically, you know, in a word, it's extension work. <laughs> I like that. I like that you put the bottom line there in a word. That is what the work is about. But maybe you can give us like... You've been in various roles in this industry. So what are you seeing as the future trend in the sustainable aquaculture business? I see a lot of trends. And, you know, and there's no question that aquaculture is a sustainable source you know, of high quality protein and it has a low carbon footprint. At least so we believe, and I could speak to a little bit about that later. You know, I eat seafood, farmed in the wild all the time. In fact, you know, when my daughter comes home from university, she requests a particular salmon dish that she grew up on because it's her favorite. And she normally doesn't eat fish, but she likes that one. It's one of those fishes that will convert a non-fish eater. And I think we need more of it. And in fact, the UN, the United Nations, has stated that shifting to a more seafood diet in itself is a climate action. So basically, what it trends that I see, we're going to see sustainability is going to be driven by innovation. The industry today is way different than the industry was when I started back in 19, late 80s. And a lot of this change has been driven by innovation. And I think that 
what's going to come around the corner. And what we're starting to see more of is things like artificial intelligence and machine learning, both for farm management, fish health management, processing, tracking products through the value chain, all of which will make you know production more sustainable. And these systems are being used more and more on a variety of different farming systems. I also think molecular genetics has come a huge way over the years and it will continue to evolve and being applied to genetics and it'll improve stock performance, disease resistance, but also be applied to food safety. Best management practices will continue to evolve. I remember when the salmon aquaculture dialogues were developed, or they were in the process of developing the aquaculture stewardship council standards. And at the time, everyone thought the bar had been set so high that it wasn't going to work. People just wouldn't be able to do it. And nowadays, certification under the ASC standards is basically standard practice. I also think we're going to see a lot more development in land-based aquaculture. Now, this is a tricky one because the cost model for a certain species like salmon has made profitability elusive. But like all technology, evolution of things like, you know, recirculating aquaculture systems will evolve slowly over time. And I, what I see happening is it's going to complement net pen systems, which is essentially you know, a form of regenerative aquaculture, which brings together natural systems, you know, ecosystem services with agritech and innovation and enhances production. And I, you know, probably... And I'm going to say mostly maybe after I retire, so maybe sooner rather than later, we may see large-scale land-based systems growing salmon to harvest size on land. That's something that we're going to see coming down the pipe. I think it's going to take a long time. None of this stuff sort of happens overnight, but the industry will continue to evolve and get more and more efficient, and we need more of it. Thank you. Those are a lot of trends you mentioned, but the favorite out of all those, when you mentioned about AI, machine learning, farm management and genetics, food safety, what my favorite was when you were talking about having the regenerative part of all these things to make it sustainable. But you also mentioned about salmon and most of the time when people hear aquaculture, they always think about salmon. So because I'm biased to gooey duck shellfish, what are you seeing as a trend in that specific species? Well, as far as gooey duck goes, gooey duck is also another one of those species that's taken a long time. And because it's such a slow growing species and we've had this traditional fishery for it, it's going to take a while before we can, I'm going to say ground truth the production model, especially for the West Coast specific species. But it's a high value species, and I think there's lots of potential there. We'll see growth of it probably in concert with First Nations who are interested in shellfish aquaculture as uh, an economic opportunity initiative. And the government is very focused on reconciliation and and developing self-determination for First Nations. So I think we will see more of it. And I think gooey duck will be part of that story. It's just going to take a while to sort it out. One of the other things I was going to say is I think we're also going to see a big focus in from a sustainability perspective on climate change. So things like Mitigation, which is reducing greenhouse gas emissions and adaptation, which is, you know, things we do to sort of deal with the changing environment are going to become a big focus. And in fact, in my work in the ministry over the last six or seven years, I'm increasingly getting pulled more and more and more into climate change projects. And one of the industries that is, is really keen on, on this area, of course, is the shellfish industry, because this is where we've seen direct impacts first. So there'll be a lot of work on shellfish genetics and adaptation and whether or not shellfish can be used as a regenerative aquaculture species for, you know, 
climate change and mitigation. But it's complicated. You know, we often talk about how seaweed, for example, has a huge sequestration potential. But for that to happen, we really have to know if carbon gets sequestered and stored for a very, very long time. And we really don't have enough data to know how well that works. And so we'll see a lot more research in that area in the next few years, I think. That's a really good point that you brought about because it's. I think it's not just one species. When we were talking about polyculture or the integrated mototropic aquaculture, there it's a combination of species that will help with all this climate change because all these species are interdependent with each other. That actually helps bring about the benefits of having the climate change sustainability portion of the industry come to fruition. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. Oh yes, I do. I think that you know it's a multi factorial problem and you can't just isolate it to one species and there's a real concern that ocean acidification and hypoxia and extreme heat events are not something to think about they're here and they're now right just think of the heat dome last year and it had a huge impact on people with beach leases for shellfish so we've got to think about how we're going to deal with those sort of things because it will impact basically food security if we want to shift to a more seafood-based diet which i think is something that we'll see more people doing. Sounds good. Well, one last question, Myron, because you're a leader in this industry. What's one thing you can advise a leader in this aquaculture industry? Well, I'm an agrologist. I'm not a business person, but I've certainly been working in the sector a long, long time. What I've seen over the years is that most successful companies and farmers are those who are passionate about what they do. You know, and I'd advise that you don't get into aquaculture for fame or fortune. You know, and I would say, apart from Ian Anderson, that shows how old I am. Apart from Ian Anderson, I can't think of any other famous fish farmers. <laughs> See if anyone can figure out that joke. Uh, and he sold out a long time ago. So I think while money can be made, it's not easy. And a lot of times, successful companies are often built on the remains of a large number of unsuccessful ones. So my advice is I think that if you have a passion for fish and enjoy what you do, you'll do it well. And if you do it well, it'll do well for you. So if the goal is to get rich and get out, I would say that agriculture is probably not for you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I have to Google Ian Anderson. Not that I am aging both of us. <laughs> do you know who Ian Anderson is? No, I don't actually. <laughs> oh, that, that you should put out some sort of poll to all your podcast listeners. But do you want me to give it away? Yes, please. Yeah, so Ian Anderson is the lead singer for a rock group called Jethro Tull. You must have heard of Jethro Tull. You know that song, Aqualung? No, uh, I don't. <laughs> Sorry. Bungle in the Jungle. So anyway, he, he basically was a big you know, rock act in, I guess, I think it was the late 60s, 70s, made most famous by the way he played a flute. So he was a front man. He did a lot of singing. He played a flute. He's still alive. And I have actually, I saw him a few years ago in Vancouver, but he's getting on. And I think his guitar player and the person that they've been grooming to be a kind of a replacement singer is actually coming to Victoria. But when I was in Scotland, he headed up, I think it was Strathaird Fisheries, and it was a fish farming company in Scotland, and they farmed Atlantic salmon. And so anytime the media wanted to get some comment from the salmon farming industry, well, they would naturally go to him because because he had this really great media presence and he could talk about it and he'd say, it's great. And we're doing this, we're doing that. And he had several farms, he had hatcheries, he had a processing company. He was a bit of a savvy businessman and a really fantastic musician. So, you know, if you've got nothing to do this weekend, I would say go out, get a copy of an album called Aqualung. And it was by far his biggest selling album of all time. And there was a 
big long period there. Well, while he was making music, he was farming salmon. So, oh wow! Okay, there you go. I, that's my to do for today. Is get that album. Thank you. For Ask that. Eric if Eric doesn't know who this guy is, then I'll have to have a chat with him. <laughs> we will see. I will let you know. But my biggest takeaway from what you were talking about today was when you were mentioning all this enumeration of this innovation that's going to be future trends in the industry, like specifically the regenerative aquaculture species in terms of having to merge with net pen system and the agri-tech. I love that, especially also when you were talking about you are gearing more towards climate change projects, greenhouse gas emissions, and all this direct impact that is affecting everybody, not just the aquaculture industry. So thank you, Myron. I appreciate you being on the show. How they can get in touch with you? Oh, that's really easy. I work for the government. So basically, if you look up on the uh, BC government global address locator, the gal, they call it, I guess, you can get my office number or my email address. You could phone Agriservice BC, which is the agriculture hotline. And if you ask for me, there's someone there will forward your phone message to me but basically yeah and i can be reached via linkedin as well so easy to get a hold of thank you so much again myron to our subscribers do leave a review of the podcast so we can get more people to be aware of the value our guests are providing in these conversations if you're new to the podcast i'd like to hear from you thanks everyone thanks again myron okay thanks lardis you have a great weekend you too bye-bye Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues, and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.